I'll be reading from page number 1157. black and white version of a famous painting that no longer exists, as far as I understand, at the Dallas Biblical Arts Center. Uh, there was a fire there that destroyed it. It's a much bigger painting than that in scope, but it's a painting of the day of Pentecost and the artist's understanding, and, and my beliefs as well, that it may very well have happened on one of the porches in the temple. Because the book of Luke said they were daily in the temple waiting on the promise. Traditionally, as a Pentecostal being raised, we were told there was 120 in the upper room. But um, if you read Acts chapter 1, it says there was 120 um, there in chapter 1 in the upper room. But it was 120 men. So they weren't counting the women and children. So there could have been 500 people or more filled with the Holy Spirit. And a huge crowd gathered because of the sound of the rushing wind. And 3,000 got saved. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Come Holy Spirit. Jesus is speaking prior to his departure, prior to his crucifixion burial and resurrection, he said, These things I have spoken to you, verse 25, while being present with you. But the Helper, or the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Another passage records him as saying, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Are you glad about it? I'd like to speak to you this morning on the Holy Spirit, but let's watch a video first. Channel turn on. All right. Well, we'll just use that for another Sunday. I'm always prepared to go with it without this thing. I'm going to talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit. We could say personalities, but that has a bad connotation in our culture, does it not? Yeah. Me, myself, and I said yes. We could, we could say the personas of the Holy Spirit, but that, has, that word has evolved into um, including people's fake lives that they're living online as their personas. So we're going to, just going to talk about the personality of the Holy Spirit and the things we see in Scripture that He is like. We know He is apostolic because He was sent to do work. 
for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit can go where there's nothing going on and make something happy. Who knows that's true? The Apostle Paul would definitely say so. We know he's prophetic because he gives prophetic gifts. And Jesus said he would foretell the future. And he hears and speaks what he hears. He is the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. Jesus said he'll take of mine and declare it to you. He is pastoral because he cares for us as a shepherd. He is another comforter is what Jesus said, speaking himself as a comforter or helper, but the Holy Spirit was coming as another one. He's pastoral. He's all about edifying and building up the church and encouraging us and comforting us when we need it. He is a teacher. Jesus said he would teach and guide us into all truth. And he is evangelistic. Jesus said no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. You may not have known whether there was a Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has been operating in your life from your birth, wooing you to the Father, setting up divine appointments for people to tell you about Jesus and for you to stumble across tracks and for the Gideon Bible to fall out of your motel room chest of drawers. Holy Spirit's at work bringing us to Christ. He is unique. We talked about his purpose and a lot of things he does, but we're going to this morning look at some things that he is like. What is the Holy Spirit like? He is like a dove. He is not a dove, but he is like a dove. Uh, Matthew 3 says that when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist also saw it in John chapter one. He bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Mark 1 and Luke 3 also record this incident. The Holy Spirit descending like a dove. A dove is a gentle creature. Are there any dove hunters in the house? Do they ever attack you when you're trying to get them for dinner? Unlike pigeons, they don't land just anywhere or eat just anything. A dove is not migratory, but returns to its home. When wanting to see if the flood was ending, Noah first sent out a raven and it never came back. He sent out a dove three times. The first time it came back. Second time it came back with an olive leaf in its beak. The third time it never came back, no doubt because it was building a nest. Uh, doves are known for being creatures of love. Uh, when they mate, they mate for life and they even show affection to one another. Kind of a peck on the beak that they do that looks like a kiss. Um, they're easily shooed away, which reminds us of Paul's admonition to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes called the sheep of the bird world, doves are considered acceptable as sacrificial animals under the law of Moses. Known for their innocence, Christ commissioned his disciples to be wise as serpents, but innocent or harmless as doves. May any parallels we learn about doves and the Holy Spirit have an impact upon our lives. And we not just say, gee, isn't that nice, but may we really think, what is it about us that's not like a dove, that's not godly or not like the Holy Spirit? And we could learn from that lesson. Amen. 
The Holy Spirit is like water. This is the, the moon shining on Lake Granberry. Our, our lake just looks great at night, doesn't it? Hallelujah. For those listening online, we have a beautiful lake, but it's really beautiful at night. Jesus said in John chapter 7, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he said, he who believes in me, as a scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. As healthy rivers bring living water from snow melting on the mountains and the subterranean springs of the earth to our seas and oceans, so the Holy Spirit, like a mighty river, brings living water to us from heaven to earth. After having drank of the Holy Spirit ourselves, our lives are to begin to bring life to others from heaven to earth. Just as rivers bring life everywhere they go, so should we bring life from the Holy Spirit to the needy. Now, in our modern age, some rivers are very undesirable because they're polluted. So when we speak of the Holy Spirit being living waters, like living waters, we're talking about healthy, healthy rivers. There's an amazing prophecy in Ezekiel 47 about a river that flows from the altar in the temple in Jerusalem out to the great sea. And everywhere this river flows, it brings healing. On the banks of this river are trees that bear fruit for food and leaves for medicine. This river, I believe, is a river of the Holy Spirit, bringing life everywhere he goes. It is a very wide river. Can we say wide? From its bank, in the vision, the prophet walked a thousand cubits. It's between 1,600 and 1,800 feet. And the water was only up to his ankles. And then another thousand cubits. And it was only up to his knees. Another thousand, it was only up to his waist. It just gradually got deeper and deeper, but it was gradual. Some churches would be churches that you'd say, man, the Spirit's not there very much. But be careful, because you don't have to be very deep in the Spirit to have the Spirit involved. Amen? Some churches go deep and forget about unbelievers and unchurched people and they just drown everybody. (laughs) Point is, we want to go as deep as we can in God, but understand that there are some on the bank that need to be urged to go deeper in the Lord. Amen. Had another great video that we will show another time. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is like wind. Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, who came to see him at night, It was the first occasion of Nick at night. He said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. The wind is kind of mysterious. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going, but we feel or see its effect. Do we not? In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole place where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like wind. Uh, The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means breath, the blowing or the breathing of God. Uh, when When God created the first man, he breathed 
or ruach into his nostrils, the breath of life. The Holy Spirit brings life to us. The Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma. We get the word pneumatic for air tools or pneumonia for a lung condition. Pneuma refers to the breath of God. This is a spirit. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit is invisible, but you can see the effects of his operations. While the wind does not create trash, sometimes it can expose the fact, can it not? Can I do a community service announcement? Is the signs that say, don't mess with Texas, meaningless or what? I'm telling you, uh, Gary Kidder and Jeff and Rob and probably others I don't know about help pick up the trash around this property. And I don't believe it's our members. It just blows in off our highways. It's unbelievable, the trash that goes. Does the wind create the trash? No, it just reveals the fact that people are messing with Texas. Sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals things in our life. The Holy Spirit can reveal the presence of demons. It does not mean the Holy Spirit is a demon. He's just revealing what's there so that we can run away in fear and hide and freak out. No, so that that person can be delivered and helped and ministered unto. So the Holy Spirit is like wind. The Holy Spirit is like fire on the day of Pentecost. Cloven tongues like as a fire sat on the heads of those who received the Spirit. John the Baptist said of Jesus in Matthew 3, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me, who is mightier than I, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Can we say fire? Fire can be dangerous, yet it can be a great blessing. It can give illumination. It can melt ice. It can cook nourishment. It can bring life-giving warmth, burn garbage, purify metal, and change one kind of material into another. Fire can temper steel, make glass clear, and get a field ready for a greener pasture. Fires can be put out, however, which reminds us of Paul's command to not quench the spirit. Fire. John said that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire and his winnowing fan, that is the fan that blows away chaff, is in his hand. This is Jesus. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Part of the Holy Spirit's function in our life is to burn the impurities out of our life. There's a debate in the church world that's gone on for over a century now. What is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I think it's trouble. (laughs) He comes to reveal areas of our life where we need cleansing. And trouble can reveal that. Amen? Hallelujah. Come to... Baptize us in fire to cleanse us. I grew up very traditional Pentecostal, and we get excited about the fire. The Holy Ghost in fire, and it's keeping me alive. Until I realized that fire was about cleansing. You know, getting the chaff out of my life. 
He gathers his chaff and burns it. In the passage where Jesus says, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, get the log out of yours first, and then go and deal with the speck. The speck he's talking about is a blind spot. Sometimes people's blind spots can be offensive, can they not? And You know, I could step on somebody's blue suede shoes because they didn't see them because I've got a blind spot. And so if someone wants to help me, they clean off their blue suede shoes, cool off, and then come to me and say, hey, dude, you've you got to watch where you're walking. The Greek word for speck is the same word for chaff. The things that irritate the hell out of you about your brothers and sisters is chaff in their life that the Lord is going to burn up. And after you get the log of anger out of your eyes, your duty is to go to them and tell them. You're not loving your neighbor if you don't. Well, I, I, you know, I just don't want to mess with them. No, do the Jesus thing and go to them and bring loving. Speak the truth in love. Otherwise, they're going to hurt somebody else. Amen. You see that? The Holy Spirit is like oil. Now, how, how do we get this? The Bible says in Acts 10 that G, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. God anointed Jesus. Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. The word for Messiah is the word Christ, which means to anoint, the anointed one, or to christen, the anointed one. Christ was the anointed one, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, and even in many religions of the world, there is, a, there is a practice called anointing where they put oil on someone. In Christianity and in the Old Testament, it was a sign of blessing. You put oil on someone when you consecrated that person to the priesthood. You put oil on furniture when you consecrated it for use in worship. You put oil on your face when you were fasting. Um, oil was used for cooking. Oil was used to bring light. Oil was used to make soap. Not speaking of oil out of the ground, but oil made primarily from olives. Oil brought great blessing. And so in sending his son, God chose the same word that was often used in conjunction with oil for who his son would be, the anointed one, the Messiah. In the New Testament, oil is used to anoint the sick in the ministry of healing. Being used for anointing purposes, we can easily see how oil points to the fact that we are to be anointed by the Holy Spirit who wants to do more in us than make our hair shiny and our faces clearer. 1 John 2.20. I think I've got this here. It says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. In 1 John chapter 2, he's dealing with error that's in the, the churches where he's sending this letter where people are attempting to lead them away from Christ, lead them to another Christ. And he's appealing to them on the basis of the Holy Spirit that they have, that you should know these things you're hearing are not true. Verse 27, he says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointed teaches you concerning all things and is true, and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. The complete Jewish Bible translation says, As for you, the messianic anointing you receive from the Father remains in you so that you have no need for anyone to teach you. On the contrary, 
as his messianic anointing continues to teach you about all things and is true, not a counterfeit, so just as he taught you, remain united with him. Can we all say anointing? Anointing is not the fourth person of the Godhead. Anointing is the Holy Spirit. And oil is a symbol. The Holy Spirit is like a seal. Ephesians 1.14 says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a letter that has wax put on it and some type of a governmental or an official seal placed on it, sealing the fact that they, this, in, this entity that is doing the seal approves of this letter as being genuine and being their will. So the Holy Spirit seals us that we are God's children. A seal is any act of confirmation. A seal is that which confirms, ratifies, or makes stable or gives assurance. That which effectually shuts, confines, or secures or makes fast or preserves. You know, you ever buy a water bottle and that cap just comes off a little too easy? And you wonder, has the seal been compromised? The Holy Spirit does not compromise His seal in our life. Are you glad about it? To seal means to mark something as property. When someone brands their cattle, they're sealing the fact that the cattle is theirs means to close, to fulfill, to complete, to mark. As a rancher brands his livestock as a sign of ownership and purpose, so the Holy Spirit marks and seals us for God's intentions. As the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption, he seals the deal that we are God's chosen family. And I love this next one. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. An eternal lifetime guarantee. Second Corinthians 1 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He sealed us and given us a guarantee. Our guarantee is not a document or a contract. It's a person, the Holy Spirit. As long as he's alive, we have assurance. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Talking about the hope of the future. Who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You know, when the early church received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit took the place of Jesus in their hearts. Now, let me clarify that. Please don't take that out of context. They had a close, intimate, physical relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When he died, it broke their hearts. When he arose from the dead, it healed their hearts. They were rejoicing. Then he left. How do you think they felt? You know, when we grieve someone's passing, we grieve 
the distance in the relationship. We grieve the loss of the relationship, do we not? But Jesus had promised them he was going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he would lead them on into more truth. So in that sense, understand there is one God. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus in the earth. But the ministry of Jesus isn't just what he did in the Gospels. It's what he's doing today. It's not just what he did in Acts. It's what he's doing today and what he's going to do in eternity. And we get included in all that because the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. You know, if a rich relative has put you in your will, you don't get your inheritance till that relative dies. True? It's tacky to ask for your inheritance in advance. Prodigal son did that. And uh, the glorious uh, news of the gospel is the old will, the Old Testament, went into effect. The messianic prophecies went into effect in the person of Jesus Christ. And he died fulfilling the old will. And arose from the dead now as our testator or as the trustee. Who's the person that helps, help, helps put the will into action? The executor. Holy Spirit rose. He's now our executor to make sure we inherit all the divine promises. One of whom is the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee that we will get everything coming to us. Isn't that good? We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He's our guarantee. I love this next one. He's the Comforter. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I commanded you. We read that earlier. John fifteen twenty six. But when the Comforter comes, whom I will send you from the Father, he will testify of me. He is our Comforter. The Holy Spirit's ministry as comforter surely must have been operating in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 7, you have the church saddened because of the persecution, grieving and mourning the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. And in the same chapter, hearing the good news of the salvation of Saul. That doesn't compute, does it? Do we rejoice or do we cry? Well, the Holy Spirit, like a blanket, covers it all and brings comfort to us. In Acts chapter 12, they're mourning the death of James, the brother of John. And I'm pretty sure their mother was in on that. Remember, she wanted them both to be in Christ's kingdom on his left hand and his right. It is interesting that James was the first one of the 12 to be martyred and John was the last one of the 12 to die. So no doubt she was part of the church there. She is sad. They're comforting her, and yet they're rejoicing because Peter got delivered. Hallelujah. You know, that messes with our Western mindset. As Americans and people of the Western world, where we've been influenced by great philosophy, where everything has to be logical and everything has to make sense before we will put any faith or trust in something. But Christianity is from the East where relationship takes priority, not logic and rationale. 
We're in relationship with a God who makes all things work together for good. Does He not? And so while we rejoice, we also weep. The New Testament says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How are we able to do that? The Holy Spirit enables us. We're not talking about promise box gospel Christianity. We're talking about the whole book. Amen? There's people in this thing that lived a long time. There's also people in this thing that lived a short time. Right? But hallelujah, thank God for the comforter. James Neal. James Neal. Can you tell, tell, them, tell them that story you were telling me before church about that funeral? He and his pastor did a funeral, and it was a sad funeral. And the Holy Spirit came through. Just kind of, I'm sorry, I didn't think of this. Oh, that's all right. It's no problem. Uh, I helped with a funeral with my former pastor. We, we did a lot of those, and we did a hardcore honest-to-goodness funeral. And I don't even remember the who the victim was. I don't know. But a man was helping helping us who stood up to pray. And he prayed. And by the way, this man had been at odds with us. And he was only there because he had some connection with the victim. And he prayed for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. It was like... A first I said a cloud, but a blanket would be better. It was like a blanket of comfort settled down over the whole group, and, and I mean I could sense it. It wasn't a, it wasn't high. It's not hype or anything, but it's like if you take a pain pill and you got a lot of pain, and all of a sudden that pain leaves. You can tell when it leaves, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit came, and I've never forgotten how that. And it helped us. It took the edge off that grief. We were all grief. We all had grief. And it took the edge off of it. And I've referred back to it many times. Amen. Thank you. Holy Spirit is our comforter. Now, you couldn't preach this in any other language other than English. <laughs> but he's our comforter. He's like a blanket. Right? So please be at peace. I'm not going to come up with some weird doctrine. Like the Bible isn't good enough, but in our culture, we need pictures to help us grasp the truth. There's nothing like a comforter when you're cold, when you're tired. If you're like me, you like to have some weight on you when you go to bed. And if you get hot, you just stick one foot out and, and it cools off. That used to bother a vet. You're not committed. You know. The young bride was... Anyway, the Holy Spirit, like a blanket, comfort, comforts us. Not to make babies out of us, but there are times in the Christian life when you need to know that you're loved. Paul said the Holy Spirit has been poured out to shed the love of God, to fill us up with the knowledge of God's love. That brings incredible comfort. If you've lost a child, that's probably the worst grief a human being can go through. I've spoken to people that have been divorced and they've lost a child. They said losing a child was worse. So... Whatever pain you've had, the Holy Spirit can comfort you. Because as God, He understands. You know, He's the one that overshadowed Mary. Jesus is the Son of God. God knows what it's like to lose a son. 
He knows what it's like to be divorced. Because his people left him again and again and again. But he knows. He understands. He comforts us. And we are to be instruments of his comfort. The Bible says that we are, we are to comfort one another with the same comfort with which we are comforted. And I'm not talking about southern comfort. I'm talking about real comfort. Holy Spirit is our comforter. Can we pray? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you that you are real and that you are alive and that you are well and that you are not surprised by any of our problems or dilemmas. But Lord, like the shepherd, you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, and we have no need to fear. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself as comforter to your people. When they've been made cold, when they've been made cold by the affairs and cares of life, let them know you're here to warm them with fellowship. Use us as people who love and care to bring comfort to one another. Lord, we pray for the Lamon and the Cud families that you would bring comfort to them. Lord, may comfort like a blanket manifest in the funeral here today at 2 o'clock in Jesus' name. And use us as your people to love them and to love one another. 